Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm glad you could make it. Hello, welcome to the live stream. I'm Dan, your friendly fishmonger at dancefish.com. And we do this every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. That's 9 Eastern for those that are mountain challenged. Welcome, glad you could make it. We're going to geek out about fish and aquariums, breeding fish, raising fish, building fish rooms, keeping aquariums, shipping fish, all that stuff. But first, we're going to give you our shipping report. And we are going to um, talk about a cool giveaway we have and update you on the progress of the building of our new fish store. I'm going to start by checking a, a text real quick. As of earlier today, I know what the report is, but just want to double check with Johnny. Make sure he didn't send me a text to let me know there were any issues. Okay, so let's get right to it. To start... The shipping report, which I'm happy to say, we have no issues. Um, all the fish that were shipped since we last talked arrived alive in good shape. The only report of any problem we had this week was um, someone lost a pleco that they got from us a, a few weeks ago. Is it three weeks or a month? Something like that. I can't remember right now. Um, but that's far enough away from when it was shipped that we don't usually tally that, but um, in the in the name of transparency, I do want to bring that up. Someone did have a loss of a pleco, uh, which uh, is super unfortunate, um, especially with the price of plecos. I totally get it. So we're you know we'll take care of that customer. But since it's been a few weeks, then I don't know if I chalked that up to a shipping issue, or we sent them one that maybe we unknowingly didn't know had an issue, or maybe something you, you know you don't know what happened when it's been that long. So the report as of since we last talked, though all the fish, as far as I know, is since we last talked, whoop, my keyboard, um, is 100% survival, everything going well. So I'm happy to say that. Um, there was a stretch there where it seemed like every week there was <laughs> something bad to report. And it's nice when I can say no issues. Now, if you did have an issue, if I'm wrong, then please feel free to let me know in the comments here. Just make your, your comment at dancefish, or if you don't want to air it publicly, send me an email, dan at dancefish.com. Oh, wait, that's the old one. Send it to Johnny. Um, hello at dancefish.com. Um, Johnny's our new customer happiness officer, and he's doing a really good job taking care of everyone's needs. So I really appreciate that. Thanks, Johnny. It's freeing me up to finish building the warehouse and um, get some other long-needed projects done. I don't know when I'll be able to do it. I want to start making more videos on YouTube again. Um, because of Johnny's help, I've been able to look at that a little bit this week and kind of refresh myself and, and get some ideas of how to do it and do it a little better than we have in the past. But um, with the move into the warehouse uh, coming up, you know, that's going to be super busy. So I'm, I'm just getting prepped for when the time is ripe for when I, I can do it. So looking forward to that and not sure when it will happen, but trying to make it happen. Anyway, about the warehouse, I'm happy to report that the thing that was keeping us from um, getting our occupancy permit, which was the venting of the big boilers because they were waiting on a, a part for the flu, um, is completed. They have, the, the flus are installed. So what that means is as soon as we can schedule it with the city, hopefully we can get our final inspection done 
and hopefully we can get our occupancy permit. They're working hard on the uh, water source, <laughs> our surface well, and been they've been working hard on that all this week. Um, one part that they were waiting on will arrive tomorrow. It's already completed. The engineer will go get it tomorrow. And so I don't know if they'll be done this week. It's a massive project, but they're making great strides. Um, so that's looking like it's coming along very shortly here. So hopefully pretty darn quick, we can actually turn that beast of a system on and see what happens. Oh man. <laughs> but that's where we're at. After that, it's just a punch list with the contractor, a bunch of little details like, I don't know, let's let's patch this spot here where the paint, you know, didn't get applied correctly, or let's add a little trim here, you know, stuff like that. But nothing necessarily that will keep us from getting in there and starting operating. So we're we're very, very close. Oh, we are waiting on one other piece of equipment. It's it's a sensor that allows the carbon filters to talk to the rest of the system. And um, that should be arriving to my supplier on Friday, and then they'll overnight it to me. So I'm hoping we can get all the rest of the sensor equipment and the communications equipment and the brains, if you will, of each piece of the system um, in, in complete next week along with, I think they'll be almost done the surface well, but I, I think that they're gonna, there's gonna be a little more to do. Um, so probably a couple days next week. Luckily, the weather looks good. We're gonna be up in the 50s. Night will be down in the 20s and 30s, but during the day, we'll be up in the 50s. So should be able to get it done. So we're, we're real close, really, really close. I can't wait. What I plan on doing tomorrow and Friday is, um, there's seven tanks that need patching. One is the manufacturer's fault. They just, the silicone was not applied correctly and it's leaky. There's just a little bubble that was in the silicone uh, where water can drip through the seam. And the rest are, um, I think six aquariums that I cracked while drilling. So we drilled what, 330 aquariums, cracked six. So a little less than 2% crackage. <laughs> 2% crackage, sir, <laughs> is what happened. But I've got to get in there and, and uh, start patching that. And due to all the requests we got to please make a video about that, I'm going to do my darndest. I'm going to try to make a video um, showing how to do that. So anyway, that's, uh, that's where we're at. We're so close I can smell it. And uh, hope we get in there real soon. I mean, there's a little cleanup and stuff, but but as far as getting the system fired up and, and starting to dial everything in and start, once that's in moving fish over and stuff, we're, we're pretty much at that point. Once, um, once that well is complete and that little sensor arrives, they'll be able to finish that. So with that, let's jump over to the giveaway. Today's giveaway is for some Cali Timbuni. Um, we will send you, I, I think probably four of them. Uh, whatever, I think I could fit four pretty comfortably in a medium-sized box. They're pretty big fish right now. They're two and a half, three inches, maybe three and a half inches, a couple of them. So um, I, I'm going to have to upgrade it to a medium box, but that's fine. We don't mind doing that for you. 
Now, for those that don't know this fish, I'd like to share it with you. So here's a picture of a, a fairly young one that we took. And then here's one that Johannes Graf, the guy that collected these fish in the wild, took. Um, and as you can see, even at a young age, they're starting to get a lot of orange in. They'll get some nice red in. They're really pretty fish. And then this dark marginal line, I think that they're, they're really good-looking rainbow fish. Um, so a little bit about these guys. They come from the Vogelskop Kop Peninsula. That's the bird's head. Kind of on the south end of the peninsula is where Johannes Graf and Co. collected them. Um, they were discovered by them in August of 2017. So this fish is very new. It was first discovered and collected in 2017, late summer. So hasn't even been in the hobby, you know, I don't know, many years. So that's kind of barely enough time for them to bring it back, breed a few, distribute them, and finally get enough bred up that, that people like me can buy them. So pretty new fish. Um, bright reds and oranges, like we said. And some good news about this fish is it lives in hard water. So they collected it in water that had a pH of about eight. Um, so you're not going to have to, you know, most of the United States has hard alkaline water. And so there's a lot of concern about taking fish that come from parameters that are very different than our tap water and putting them in the tap water. All right. Um, a lot of people are concerned about that. I'm not necessarily so concerned about that. I think there's ways to make that work, but, but that's a concern people have like, well, pH do you have? That's still something you hear all the time. Invalid is I think the pH parameter usually is in this case, it'll help folks feel good to know that in nature, these were collected in water with a pH of 8.0, pretty hard. The carbonate hardness was 250 ppm. And this all comes from Johannes Graf, the guy that collected them. So he would know. And the total hardness was 360 ppm. So hard alkaline water, just like almost everyone in the United States has. Uh, temperature at collection was around 80 degrees. So, you know, they'll be fine in the mid to upper 70s, maybe low 80s. Uh, we keep ours uh, in the mid to upper 70s and they do great. So that is the Cali Timbuni. And you don't have to wait for these guys to grow up and color in. Um, they are already, like I said, some of them are probably over three inches. So we can get you some that look pretty good. Anyway, if you like that, no, one thing I do want to say before I tell people how to enter the giveaway is that, um, oh, I see Amazon Research Center here. I just want to let you know, I haven't forgotten about you. Um, I am... <laughs> I hate to use the excuse I'm very busy, but I'm so busy right now that all I'm able to focus on is immediate fires that I have to put out and things I have to deal with to get the building finalized and, and get prepped to move in there and all that. So um, I, I, I'm not ignoring you. I, I'll get back to you. Don't worry. And I'm, I'm sorry for the delay. But if it's not like a customer that needs care right away or something to do with shipping or care of the fish right now or getting the building done, um, I'm probably not doing it just because of time. Um, late at night, I'll, you know, lay in bed and unwind by, you know, watching, refreshing my mind about how to make YouTube videos and stuff. But besides that, it's pretty much a grind. Um, 
but I haven't forgotten yet. I just want you to know. Um, but anyway, so these are rainbow fish and they're going to get, I don't know how big exactly Cali Timbuni gets. Um, Hoon Aquatics, what would you say? Or Bentley, do you guys know? Have you seen adults? My guess is maybe around five inches, give or take a bit. Um, would be kind of average for this group of fish. And because of that and their desire to swim rapidly, I would say if you don't have a tank that's, you know, four feet long, maybe pass on this one. Um, they like to swim and you don't want to crowd them. Now, people do keep them in 40 breeders and stuff. Um, folks that are trying to breed them might even keep them in a smaller aquarium, at least temporarily, to get eggs from them and things. But I would say long-term forever home, we're looking at uh, something that's at least four feet long. Could be a 55, could be a 75, could be a 120, could even be a 33 long. It doesn't have to be massive amount of water volume, but it needs to be long enough that they can get their swim on. So keeping that in mind, if you have such a tank and like rainbow fish, then if you would like to enter to win them, the hashtag is hashtag rainbow. <laughs> Try to keep it simple. Something I learned from candy overhauls. Keep it simple, stupid, when it comes to uh, <laughs> making hashtags for giveaway, um, I don't know, entries. So hashtag R-A-I-N-B-O-W. Doesn't matter if it's capitalized or not. No space between the hashtag and rainbow, just all one unit. And that will get you entered in the drawing. All right. Um, a, a little bit of news for those that are interested in what's going on behind the scenes here is we were not planning on bringing in any more fish until we moved in the warehouse but we thought that we would for sure be in there and balanced and everything by april 1st so as we sold out a fish here we weren't replacing them we were trying to empty tanks so we could start tearing down tanks and move them over to the warehouse however um, we're not exactly sure when we'll be able to move in the warehouse. So a, a bit of that is out of our hands. So we've decided to change our strategy a bit and, um, keep working out of here and the warehouse for a little bit. Um, and then once the warehouse is totally stable and all that, move everything and move over as we can. So what that means is all those tanks that we'd emptied out in anticipation to move to the warehouse. And the reason was, is we were starting to run low on inventory for you guys. We were down to a lot less species than we normally have. And it was going to be at least a few weeks before we could get in the warehouse because we have to get our occupancy permit. And the other things we talked about earlier, we're, we're close to that. But then there's a couple of weeks of just testing and balancing the system and making sure that the brains of each piece of equipment talk to each other, um, doing a lot of stress testing. So if this piece goes out, what happens to the rest of the system? Or if there's a, a drop in pressure, or a change in temperature or uh, a clog in this area, you know, any of that stuff, we have to stress test the system. So we make sure that if anything like that happened while the system was operating, the fish would be safe, right? We, we try to think of every scenario that could go wrong and make sure that, that we're prepared for that and that the system 
knows how to handle each of those scenarios in a way that it doesn't kill all the fish. So for example, let's say that the um, boilers malfunctioned and overheated the water. And now we've got super hot water flowing into all the aquariums, which would, you know, cook our fish. How do you make sure that in that scenario, the system stops pumping hot water to the fish, right? Um, or if there's a big pressure drop in the pump out at our water source and the pump in the building, which is um, clearing the water that is draining from all the aquariums, what if one of those pumps stops, has a big pressure drop, but the other pump keeps going full bore, well, then we're going to have a problem because they aren't balancing each other anymore and that'll screw up the system. We either get a flood or a pump sucking air and burning out, things like that. So there's all these things in place to prevent those scenarios from happening. Sensors that tell us, okay, when the temperature gets out of whack, if the temperature gets above this amount or below this amount, um, shut off the system and let Dan know, right? Um, or if there's a pressure drop or a flow drop or whatever, um, here's how we react so we don't hurt the fish. Um, but we've got we've to test all those scenarios and make sure everything is, is actually working. So all that balancing and getting all that working is going to take a few weeks. So I think with that and not knowing exactly when the water supply will be done and all those things will be done. Um, we wanted to make sure we didn't run out of inventory completely because we're a business based on cash flow, right? If we stop selling, then the cash flow dries up and then we don't have the money we need to buy the inventory we need to get the cash flow we need to buy the inventory we need, right? It's as Austin Powers once said, it's a vicious cycle. <laughs> so, so we went ahead. This is a long winded way of saying we went ahead and brought in some new fish. They arrived Monday. They're recovering now. Most of them look really, really good. And um, so in another week and a half or so, we're going to have some interesting new fish to to list. And I'll tell you what they are when they're actually about ready to be listed. I don't want to, you know. <laughs> I've learned not to do it too early or things ensue. So anyway, I know that we had said that we're probably not going to do that because we weren't planning on it, but we did end up doing it. So I just wanted to, to let you know, and I'll let you know what those are a little further on down the road. That's about all I've got. Um, let's get to questions and comments. If you have a question um, or just a comment about, I don't know, aquarium fish Aquarium keeping, breeding, raising, shipping, building a fish room, setting up aquariums, building a fish store, shipping fish, uh, specific species of fish, all that stuff. Um, please leave it in the chat. If you make it hashtag, no, not hashtag. That would probably work too. But if you make it at Dan's Fish, then it'll highlight for me. It'll turn bright orange, just like this one down here. Oh, look what Alexander did. I'll get to that in just a moment. And then I'll know to, you know, look at it and probably read it. Um, and then we can get the, uh, get the party started. So before we do that, I want to thank my moderators for everything they do. They're the ones that make this work without them. This, this would be a mess. Thanks for everything you do. I know a lot of it is behind the scenes. Um, but, but I see it and I appreciate it. And, um, 
Yeah, thanks for <laughs> keeping everything, keeping the gears turning here. Um, Alexander Engelhardt has left a super chat. Thank you so much, Alexander. I really appreciate it. So generous of you. I, I mean, I, I don't even know what to say except just thank you. And I mean that sincerely. I know that after time, I run into this with a lot of my uh, recurring supporters and moderators. And I, I mean, there's some folks like... Um, Shout out to Bob Kaler, who's been supporting me for years. He's an OG. I think he's subscriber number 30 to the channel. He was a customer before I even really had, um, I mean, way back when, when I had just an antiquated, like, I was, what at that point was I selling on Aquabid? I think I just started my Shopify store that I tried for a little bit, had to get out of Shopify because it didn't have the shipping flexibility I needed. We ended up having to build our own website to get that. But uh, the point is, there's lots of people that have been supporting for a long time. And Alexander, you are one of them. And my fear is always that after a while of just saying, I don't know, oh, super chat, thank you, or whatever, that it, it starts sounding rote and stops sounding sincere. So to, to all my longtime supporters and re, repeat, not repeat offenders, all my repeat offenders, <laughs> repeat supporters, I just want you to know that no matter how many times I say, you know, thank you or express that however I can, even though it might start sounding like it's just rote, um, that it's not, that I really do appreciate it, that it does make a difference, that it's, it's seen, it's noticed, and it, it's, it's helpful. And that I just on a personal level just feel very grateful. So thanks to you, Alexander, for that. And, and Bob Kaler, Kaler's Aquatics and Exotics, and everyone else who's um, supported some folks literally for years. And a lot of folks doing things behind the scenes that most people are not aware of to make it, uh, to help even more. So we're just seeing the tip of an iceberg um, for what a lot of folks do. So. Thank you sincerely. I, yeah, I just, no, I explained it. I don't need to beat that horse anymore, right? Oh, well, I did not do this <laughs> for the purpose of getting more super chats, but the result is more super chats. So thank you. Thank you to Kaler's Aquatics and Exotics. Um, always appreciated, never required, but as you know, it does make Brenda super happy when money falls out of the computer screen. So I'll let Brenda know you did that, Bob. <laughs> and Alexander Engelhardt, another super chat, boring super chat, insert standard phrase here. <laughs> Thank you, Alexander. I appreciate it. Oh, here's one more. Danikin Aquatics. So Kenny E and Danny, but I'm assuming this is Kenny. I am not ignoring you. My phone is toast. I, my new phone arrives hopefully Friday, and then I can get back to people. Um, what happened is I've been in such a bubble that unbeknownst to me, AT&T cut its 3G network out. It's just gone. So I can't make phone calls. I can't receive phone calls. Like, um, I, 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 I know I, Danny, can I know I, owe you an answer. I, I saw your question a little while ago, but I, I, I need to get my phone so I can call you. Um, so I'm so sorry. Anyone that's been trying to get a hold of me for the last week or so, um, sorry, but 
I've been living in such a bubble that I did not know the AT&T was going to do that. And I've got a super old phone. <laughs> it's a Nexus like SP, a Hawaii, Hawaii. Is that how you say it? I don't know. That phone's got to be seven years old. It works great though. So I never got a new one. And then one day I was like, why can't I make a phone call? And I looked into it and I was like, oh, that's why I can't make a phone call. So sorry to everyone who's waiting on a phone call. <laughs> yeah, I'm ignoring you all. Yes. <laughs> Amazon Research Center, he's ignoring us all. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> right now I am, just because I don't even have the means to respond. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Let's get to some fish talk, shall we? Let's talk about fish and aquariums and all that fun, funsy stuff. Oh, I also want to thank everyone who's sending us temperature reports. So when um, there's been a lot of people that when they receive the box, they check the temperature of the water in the bags in the box, right? And um, when they tell us how the fish did, they include that. They're telling us, hey, the temperature was this, you know, 70 degrees or, or whatever it was. And that's really helpful. We're in that time of year again where the temperatures are shifting. Um, dead of winter, believe it or not, even though it's super, super cold, it makes it a lot easier to decide how to heat a box. Because I know it's cold here and I, we look at all the weather. I should show, oh, I can't really show that without. Every order form has the weather printed on it. So, um, this morning, when I printed all the order forms for all the orders going out today, Jonathan, uh, the evil genius <laughs> who makes all that work, uh, random arms, um, makes it so that the weather forecast for that day is printed on those order forms. So we know when we send you your fish, what your weather is going to be um, for the day that they're going to arrive, right? So today I pulled the fish, your weather for tomorrow is printed on that order form. In the winter, it's cold here, it's cold there, easy. Put in, you know, depending on the size box, maybe a few different heat packs to keep them warm. But right now it's shifting. Sometimes it's cold here, but warm where it's been shipped to, or it's uh, not super cold here. It's in the 50s during the day right now. And it's not super cold where it's going, but it still needs some heat. So all those little things were in that that kind of, I don't know, zone where we're, there's a little science to it and a little art to it when you're trying to figure out, okay, this species going to this location and this weather probably needs this much heat, right? And all those reports that people send us when they receive their fish. If you send an email to hello at dancefish.com. Um, and if you happen, let us know if they did well or didn't do well so we can keep track of how our shipping's going. So we know if we need to improve anything or fix anything for anyone. And if you do check the temperature in the box when you open it, um, that's mighty helpful. And when you do it, if you would actually check the temperature of the water in the bag, um, that's the best. If you just kind of check the temperature on top of the bags, well, the heat bag's been sitting up there and kind of making that spot warmer. It's the water in the bags that, that we really need to know. Um, so anyway, everyone that's doing that, we really appreciate it because it's helping us uh, 
It's helping us know what to do to get the fish tee in good shape. All right. Kelly Foreman throwing down a super chat. Thank you so much. Here's a shout out to Random Arms. Yeah, Random Arms is one of the best. I'm lucky to work with that guy. We've got a great crew. We've been very fortunate with uh, our team and how it's shaping up. By the way, we are looking for someone, um, a couple of folks to help. So if you like to do marketing, if, if you want to be our Jimmy, <laughs> our Swiski, <laughs> um, and help us make content to, uh, I know it's, it's two things, right? It's keep in touch with our audience is to educate folks about fish and share our story. Um, so it's kind of marketing, kind of PR, kind of educate, but just, you know, keep, keep hopefully useful value adding content in front of people. Um, I used to make a lot of that and then I just got so busy that I pretty much just do the live stream now and maybe a tour sometimes when new imports are ready for sale so you can see what you're getting stuff like that. But as far as like truly educational content outside of that, I haven't been able to do a lot of that lately. So we're looking for someone to help us do that. Make videos, uh, take pictures, post things on YouTube and other social media channels. So that's one position. And then another thing is we're getting busy. Like, we keep breaking our records, even though we're not in the warehouse yet. We're still growing. And so we need someone to help care for the fish, maintain the tanks, help pack the fish so they get to the to the customers in good shape, all that stuff. We all do all, all of that, but we're to the point where we need even more. So if you're interested in working with us, if you would send a cover letter and a resume to hello at dancefish.com, um, we'd be mighty interested in uh, seeing who you are and seeing if we can make beautiful music together. But so far, we have a pretty slow hiring process. We're very particular in who we hire. Um, and at some point before we hire you, we would fly you out here and work together um, for at least, you know, it's usually about a week just to make sure that everyone plays in the sandbox well together because it's... We don't want to be that company that people dread going to work for. I'm sure we've all had those jobs, right? Where you're scraping yourself off the mattress in the morning, hitting snooze 10 times because you don't want to get out of bed. So you can go to the job that feels toxic, right? And uh, that's what we're trying to avoid. We, we're trying to work with people who will not only be passionate about what we're trying to do, and love fish and love our customers, right? But also who are good people to work with. I have a zero tolerance for jerks policy in my life <laughs> and in my business, because I feel like that just creates all kinds of toxicity. So um, the only way to really hire, I feel like, is to actually, you know, we do the, th we read the cover letters and the resumes and we call a percentage of them and have a discussion. And, but really it's that, it's that week working together. And we try to make sure that it's a week that is busy, <laughs> you know, so everyone's working hard and trying to get something real done. And that's what we've found to be the best way to kind of um, get to know if we're good for you and you're good for us. Anyway, Ethan Foster throwing down a super chat. Ethan, thank you so much. It's not letting me read. 
I don't know if there, if there was a comment attached to that, I apologize. I literally can't read it. It won't let me scroll down far enough, but the super chat is much appreciated. Again, always appreciated, never required, but it's awesome. And it's helpful when, uh, you know, money falls out of the computer screen onto our laps. Amazon Research Center, great archer fish in the back. I, I love them. Those are my babies. How long have I had those now? A few years, I think. Yep. True freshwater archer fish. Really, really fun. Fish Central, what's your favorite fish? So I, I truly don't have one, but the standard answer is Fundulopanchak's Garden Rye. I'm a killifish nerd in my deep, deep heart. And these fish are amazing. Um, I've bred and kept many locations of them. They truly look like this. Like this is not fake. In fact, I can show you a couple pictures of some that I've had. Let me pull up a file here. I think this will be fun. If not, I apologize. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's not plugged in right now. I don't think. Let's see. I think that's all on like a external drive. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have those pictures available. I can't show them to you. But anyway, these fish in real life look every bit as good as these. Like, this is not an exaggeration. They have that ni nice blue to green sheen on the body. These beautiful red dots all over. Red margins or submargins with yellow margins on them. Really pretty. Really hardy. Um, easy to keep. Easy to breed. And they don't get too big. So that's why they're my favorite. And within this kind of complex, there's all different kinds. These are the kind I tend to go for. They have the nice yellow and red, but there's also something like this, which is quite different, or something like this, which is quite different. Um, there's even an albino form, which you know doesn't float my boat all that much, but some people are way into albinos, and I don't judge if that's you. We've got one for you. I think it's massage, which is the albino. Um, massage, what I mean by that, here you go. Is it massage? No, I can't remember. There's also a gold form, which isn't albino, I don't believe, but it's kind of a, I don't know, gold morph. Let's see. Yeah. Is that a gold? Here's one. See how it's got the dark eyes, but it's still kind of got a, a little, kind of a more golden body color. Um, and with these fish, with Fundable Panchak's Garden Rye, or depending on where you're at in the country, Nigerianus. So they, they kind of break Garden Rye into two groups, the Garden Rye and the Nigerianus. Um, although they're all kind of Garden Rye. <laughs> but anyway... Within, we can just go back, right? Yeah. Within the Gardner species complex, there are many, many locations. And I'm sure in time they'll find that a lot of these locations are different species. So when you're keeping um, killifish, especially ones that come from many different locations, you want to kind of keep them pure. You don't want to cross locations because if they ever say, oh, this fish from this location is a different species than, I don't know, the, the one from Massage is different from the one from um, McCurdy, let's say. Well, now you have hybrids. Now, some people don't mind hybrids, and I'm not going to 
weigh in on that. Like everyone do their own thing. But um, even without being separate species, just the distinctiveness. What's another one? Biasu is one I like. Biasu. Is that how you spell it? Or is it Basua? It might be Basua. <laughs> Basua? Oh, I can't remember. But anyway, there's many different locations and color patterns and things. So even just keeping this one species or this one group, um, Gardneri slash Nigerianus, um, you can get all different locations and lots of different looks. So anyway, if I could only choose one fish to keep, that might be it. Um, they were the first fish I kind of really, really fell for. Um, first egg layer, I think, that I kind of bred and raised successfully in any kind of meaningful numbers or anything. So that's, uh, yeah, that's the one. Although I don't know if I could honestly choose, but that's the one that pops into my mind. Partly just for nostalgic reasons, right? When it's, you never forget your first, as they say. Ethan Foster. Oh, there you go. Wow. I should not be able to read chat or the message more often. <laughs> then you get more super jets. No, that is not the game. Here's what it's showing me, Ethan. See this? It just shows $2. And I was trying to, it's here. I don't want to do any weirdness to you. I was trying to see if I could read a comment and wouldn't let me, but I can read this one. So thank you for a second super chat. Message was about temps being right on. Check temps a couple of times. The water and shipping bags. Both times the temp was 74. Amazing. And my L236RBs already bred. Oh, okay. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. If I'm warning you, it's going to get loud. Turn down your volume. Take out your earbuds. It's going to get loud. Five appeared so far in the colony tank. That is awesome that the 236 um, RB line already bred. That's worth a golazo. Ready? Here we go. Golazo! Yes! That's awesome, Ethan. Oh, man. That's exciting. I always get excited when someone's able to breed fish that I sell them. But when they're able to breed a fish that's super expensive and rare and hard to find that I sell them, that's even that's even more fun. So, Ethan, I'm so glad to hear that. If you get enough of them, I'd be happy to buy them back. That's pretty cool. <coughs> Maria Z, thank you so much. <laughs> Bravo right back. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty special. 236s are no joke. All right, T-Dub. You can get temporary occupancy as long as you get life safety signed off. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're looking for permanent occupancy. I mean, really, we've been in there and we've set up our tanks and our system and stuff and everything that we can do without the water supply being done and without um, uh, that balancing and, and programming of all the equipment. They, and, and that's being done. But until we get the water, there's lots we can't do in that. So it's really not holding anything up. If occupancy takes longer than... Okay, so if the water source is done and... 
all the equipment's been stress tested and, and put through its paces and we're ready to go. And we don't have occupancy at that point. And I think that's going to take a couple of weeks because there's a lot of testing and balancing to do. If we don't have occupancy at that point, then it's going to be a big problem because we're ready to rock and roll and we just don't have a permit. So we have to sit out waiting. That, that'll be super annoying. But we're, we're a couple of weeks out from, I think, that point. So having occupancy uh, this week or even by the end of next week would probably suit us just fine. Although we want it sooner than later because you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> it's nice to get things buttoned up in construction projects. Man, avoid construction if you can. If you can't, um, I don't know, patience and whiskey might be helpful. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> fish Central, what's your favorite fish? Okay, I already got that one. Ira Nelson, getting set up for a shrimp rack. Oh, that sounds exciting. Once the tank's plants are ready, I'll be placing a couple shrimp orders. I look forward to it. Awesome. We look forward to supplying you with some shrimp. Now, we don't have a lot, but the ones that we have are good, and I don't think they're going to... You're not going to have that fresh imported shrimp problem. Um, ours have been bred and raised here um, for, geez, at least a few generations now. And the source, at least of our Blue Dreams, is, um, is, is Rick, a, a breeder down in Utah who bred them, and we got them from breeders. So... They haven't spent several generations since any of our shrimp have been imported, which I think is super helpful. And man, I don't think we've had Johnny, Mandy, Random Arms, if, if you're listening or any customers that have got shrimp from us, I honestly can't think of a time that anyone's lost any now that I think about it. I think that's a true statement. I don't think anyone's reported that they've lost any shrimp from us. If you have, correct me, or Johnny and Mandy and Random Arms, if if uh, if I'm forgetting something, let me know. But just off the cuff, yeah, I, I think that's a true statement. So they should do well for you, Ira. Um, really mature tank is helpful. In fact, almost necessary. Um, so I would just suggest whatever rack you have set up, get those tanks setups um cycled and then let them go another couple months to like get them nice and mature a lot of algae and stuff make sure you're not going to have any kind of ammonia or nitrite spike um and that everything's stable and you have a real ecosystem going and then get the shrimp that would be my best advice for shrimp and i'm not a big shrimp expert by the way but from the times i have kept them over the years that would be my best advice um atlanta is it possible to patch a gap in the silicone of an aquarium seam or do you have to cut out the entire run of silicone and re-silicone the entire length of the seam? Unfortunately, it's the latter. Um, there's no way to... If you already have silicone there, and in order for the seal to be complete, you would need new silicone to seal with the old silicone. It doesn't happen. Old silicone and new silicone just do not seal together. It's too bad. So unfortunately, if you have to put new silicone to a point where it has to bond with old silicone, then you have to take out the entire thing, all the seams of the entire tank. Now, not in between the glass necessarily, 
but all the bits that you can see that are inside the tank, you have to get all that out um, and reseal it all. I know it's a pain. I'm going to be doing a bunch of it tomorrow. <laughs> um, and I think, I believe I do have a video of when I had to patch one of the 75 gallons that I broke down here. Um, that it goes through that whole thing. Mods, if, if I do, I, I think I do on the channel. It's been a while. It would be when I was first setting up the basement. So I don't know, is that three years now or more? Um, but but I think I remember making that video. Xanadu do. <laughs> Thank you so much for the super chat. For more patience and whiskey. <laughs> and for your first big order in the warehouse, hurry up already. Love you guys. Love you right back. And um, we can't wait. I mean, I know a lot of you are anxious, but just multiply that by... I don't know, 5,000 and you'll see how I feel <laughs> like, yes, I can't wait. Okay. Crown tail half moon. What's the care requirements for the rainbows in the giveaway? Um, rainbow fish don't have, as far as I have ever found, at least not these, I'm sure there's, there's a few edge case species, but none of the rainbow fish that I carry have what I would call super special requirements. Um, they're not picky about their food. Although one thing about food is you don't want to feed them anything real big. You want it to be small and easy to swallow. Um, you don't want to feed big pellets or anything jagged or sharp. Frozen food's fine. Um, if you do feed a large food item, you have to make sure it's so large they can't get it in their mouth and they have to like pick at it, like a chunk of rapashi or something like that, right? That would be fine if it's big enough that they can't get it in their mouth. But you want to avoid hard foods that they can get in their mouth and uh, I've seen them like tear their throat when they do that. So I'm not sure exactly why they do that, but I found it best to avoid. I do feed pellets to my rainbows, but they're nano pellets. They're extreme nano pellets. They're very small. Um, feeding larger stuff can be a problem. But frozen foods, flake foods, you know, soft stuff. That's fine. I'm talking about like hard pellets. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Besides that, I would say it's space. I'd say long-term, at least four feet of swim, swimming space would be good. A tank that's four feet long is good. Um, besides that, I'm going to say they're pretty hardy and pretty simple. Honestly, they're, in my experience, one of the hardier, easier fish to keep. So I wouldn't say there's anything super special. You know, be a good caretaker. Keep the water, you know, parameters good, keep them clean, make sure there's not a bunch of ammonia buildup or any of that. Stable aquarium, just like any fish wants. Um, good variety of foods, just like any fish wants. Stable parameters, I, that's really about it. But rainbows, I mean, other folks chime in that are rainbow nerds. I know there's some in here, but for me, they've been pretty easy, honestly. Yeah. Oh, chat jumped, so I'm a, uh, I'm scrolling, scrolling hard. <laughs> ABC Aquatics Biotope Creations. What is the red and yellow fish behind you again? <laughs> These are gold roseline barbs. Um, so they're Sahayadra denisoni, the roseline barb or roseline shark or torpedo barb or torpedo shark. Sometimes they're called, but these are the gold form of that. Hard to get, really pretty. Every time I can, I bring them in. But um, 
geez, over the last two years, I think I've been able to get them in maybe four or five times. It's their demands high, supply is low, but they are really pretty. And check out um, if that's a fish you want and you're new to it, then at dancefish.com, check out the newsletter section. And we wrote a whole detailed article on that morph of that fish, on that specific gold fish. Uh, there's some things to be aware of before you own a fish like that that's specific to the gold morph. So it's worth a look-see. Buddy Viper, any chance of new SA small-scale archers for a spring or summer shipment? Thanks again. Or clouded. Yes, um, I, I'm on the lookout for both of those and would, would love to bring them in. Is the small-scale archer from South America? Is that what you mean by SA? Hang on, I, I actually thought it was from Asia. But I, I could be wrong. It's not a fish I know really well. In fact, I've only had it once. Small scale archer fish. Let's see here. Fish base will probably tell us. Um, let's see here. Here's fish base. Freshwater brackish. It has the small scale as brackish, although I know that they can come from um, fresh as well. Yeah, so this is from Asia, it sounds like. Mekong. Um, Malay Peninsula, Sumatra, Borneo. Yeah. So did I misunderstand? Is there a different archer from that's from South America that you're asking about? Or maybe SA meant something else. But anyway, Bunny Viper, um, both the small scale and the clouded are the ones that I tend to try to get just because they both do well in fresh water in my experience. And um, I'll, I'll keep trying. Yes. Fish Central. Wow, that's cool. My favorite fish are Endlers. Yeah, Endlers are awesome. No shade to Endlers. They're pretty cool. Kelly Foreman. Johnny, tell us what's your favorite fish. Kelly Foreman. Johnny at Dense Fish. So I, I'm imagining... Oh, oh, you're telling me that... Yeah, I already responded to that one. Gotcha. I think you were just bringing that to my attention. Gorgachev. Can bumblebee gobies thrive in freshwater? I've looked at different sources and get mixed answers. That's because there's lots of different species. Some of them I don't think thrive long-term in fresh water. Um, it's really difficult on a fish's system to go from a place of um, high salinity, low osmotic pressure, to a place of low salinity, which creates a, a high osmotic pressure on the animal. It, there's a lot of work that a fish has to expend. It takes an awful lot of energy I read the percentage once and I forget what it is, but it's significant amount of energy for a freshwater fish to maintain osmotic homeostasis, to keep that freshwater from invading its body, basically. So if you take a fish that usually lives in brackish water, and most of the bumblebee gobies do, and lots of the archer fish do, since we were just talking about archer fish, and you put it in freshwater, it might be able to fight that fight for a little while and I, there's exceptions to everything, right? So I'm sure there's people that have kept, you know, what is it? Uh, bumblebee gobies. Is that brachio? Uh, I forget, but the, the most common one, is it Doria or Dar? Something like that. Um, anyway, the, the common one that we find with bold, I'll show you in a second. If we take a brackish water bumblebee goby, and most of them are, and put it in fresh water, it can, it can, 
expend that energy for a while, but over time, it's probably going to wear the fish down. And that energy it's, it's expending for that, it's not going to be able to expend on, say, keeping its immune system primed. So you can run into issues there. So I would say um, that's the main issue long term. Now let's look at let's look at these. There are there is a species that you can definitely keep in fresh water. Um, let's see what is the one. Is it Dorier? Um, okay. I've got to find this here. Brachygobius. There it is. Dory. Yeah, like Dory. So this is, now there's many, many species, but this is one that is common or, or, or ones that look like this are really common, right? The Dory, where you have these really delineated um, black in yellow sections on the body. Now there is one that does come from pure fresh water, even in nature. And that's Xanthomelis right here. So it looks a little different. It's more of a modeled pattern, right? You don't have that clear cut, bold black stripe, bold yellow, bold black, bold yellow, right? You've got Oh, here's a picture of one that we had recently. It does have this bull buck stripe, but see all this modeling in between? That's the Xanthomelis. So that species is pure freshwater. This one is not. This is labeled Xanthomelis, but I can almost guarantee you this is not. This is Dorier or one of those types. So the answer is there are some freshwater goby species bumblebee goby species, but most aren't. So I would look for uh, Brachiogobus xanthomelis. But again, there's exceptions to everything. Um, the banded archer fish is one that is brackish water, right? And won't do well long-term in fresh water, right? Except for there are populations in the wild that are locked in habitats that are very soft and very acidic. And they live there naturally in the wild and reproduce and all that stuff. So, um, so there's exceptions to everything, but by and large, I would say get the species that naturally lives in fresh water um, and you'll probably be okay. So Gorgachev, because there's so many different bumblebee goby species that come from so many different habitats, but most do come from um, brackish water or, you know, tidal zone type areas, then, uh, then that's why you're getting so many different answers. All right, Fish Central, how do I care for killifish? The main way to be successful caring for killifish is to have a tight-fitting lid because they jump like cray-cray. <laughs> I just said cray-cray. <laughs> Jeez. That's so like last decade, dad. <laughs> they, they're crazy good at jumping. Like I once had some killifish in a 10-gallon aquarium. I thought they'd be okay because there was literally like maybe two inches of water in the thing. Nope, they jumped out. They cleared that, what is that, 10 inches. That would be a 10-inch jump if, I, if I'm remembering right. Isn't a 10-gallon a foot tall? Whatever. They jumped really high. Um, so tight-fitting lid is 
the main thing. Besides that, there's so many different species of killifish that it would be hard to give you a single answer. But in general, if you can keep a platy or a guppy or something in a tank successfully, you can probably keep a killifish. Give them some cover. They need some plants to hang out in or mops or whatever. Um, but uh, in general, they're not super difficult to keep. I mean, me as a 13-year-old kid, brand new to fish, was able to keep them and breed them and raise them. They're super hardy. Not all of them. You know, again, they, there's many species from a broad range of habitats. But in general, they're pretty hardy fish. I mean, just, just a little more, sorry. <laughs> so a lot of them in nature come from just swamps and little puddles and things like that, where they put up with a lot and they still thrive. So they're, they can usually put up with us. Amazon Research Center, do you ever bring in wild caught fish? I do. Um, I don't have any problem with wild caught fish as long as they're sustainably collected. And I believe from what I've read, and I've read on it pretty extensively, that almost all of the fish that are wild caught are done in a sustainable manner. Now, I know every now and then someone will do something really horrible and use, I don't know if it's cyanide or what, you know, some kind of horrible fishing method. But I don't think that that's widespread or very common. Um, and the last case I knew of where a freshwater fish was being collected unsustainably was, um, the Roseline barb, but that ended a long time ago. Now they are done sustainably. Um, Amazonas magazine did a great couple articles on them showing that whole process and what happened at the beginning. And again, this is an outlier. Let's keep that in mind. But in the beginning, the folks that were collecting the fish were not educated and didn't know how to do it. I don't mean not educated in life. I mean, not educated about how to collect that fish. So what they knew how to do was collect fish to eat. And when they realized that people would buy these Roseline barbs alive, they used the same methods that they were using to collect fish to eat and the same equipment to catch live Roseline barbs. Well, gill nets and things like that that they were using are super hard on the fish. And so for a long time, um, that was the method. So those fish did not do well. That was not collected sustainably. But they've learned, right? Now they know how to do it sustainably. Now the fish get to us in much better shape. Um, and so that, I, I don't have any problem buying wild-caught roseline barbs because I think it's just like Project Piava is doing in the Amazon. Um, I think it's helping folks um, keep their rivers clean in, is it Kerala, India, where, where they're from, at least one of the locations they're from. In general, though, in general, that specific species I tend to buy um, because I, I've got a guy that raises them and does a great job. And so I, I tend to buy them, um, you know, aquarium raised and bred. But I have no problem buying wild fish. Besides that one, I'm having trouble thinking of another species that I, I wouldn't buy because it is currently being collected unsustainably. I'm sure there's one out there, but um, 
but I'm unaware of it and don't carry it. So yeah, I don't have a problem doing that. However, I also like to buy aquarium bread and raised fish. Um, few reasons for that, but so I do both. Now, the good thing about wild collected fish is, again, it supports communities that would otherwise need to do something that would destroy the environment for a living, right? Maybe they would have to work at a, a palm plantation making palm oil, or maybe they would have to work at a gold mine or something, all these or cattle ranching or whatever. Lots of activities that are done that really hurt the waterways. So the general idea I think has proven out over time that if a community is able to make their livelihood from the waterway, they want to do that sustainably so that the fisher, they can do that tomorrow, you know, not just today. And therefore they have an incentive to preserve that waterway and make sure it's taken care of. Um, I do believe that that does generally work. So I, I like to support that. But there's other fish like, let's just say plecos. In general, from what I've seen, plecos that come from the wild are often really fraught with problems. Um, you have parasite issues, you have really emaciated sunken belly, you have all kinds of issues with those. What I found is if I buy from a, a breeder and I've got you know a few breeders that I really trust um, and they're raised in aquariums, I don't have all those issues and they really thrive for my customers in general. I mean, every now and then there's an outlier that doesn't do well. Right. Um, but almost always they do well. Whereas the opposite is true of wild collected with wild collected plecos. Um, oftentimes it's the exception that they do well. Whereas with aquarium bred and raised plecos, and I'm thinking hype and citrus types and you know, some of the, what I would call, um, high end plecos or, I don't bling, bling, plecos. I don't know what you call them. Um, Raising aquariums, you almost never have problems. That's the outlier. So there are certain species and groups of fish that I tend to buy one way or another based on how, how they do. So yeah, there's, there's lots of thought that goes into it, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy to bring in um, wild caught fish. The last import that I got from Peru, I mean, that's all stuff that's been harvested from the wild. And, uh, and I think quite sustainably as well. Kelly Foreman, beautiful plant munchers. Are we talking about some plecos? I'm assuming. Ethan Foster say no worries, happy to support. I am so far behind if I'm just now getting to that comment. <laughs> Irie 77, I'm sad to report the six orange Venezuelan quarries I ordered have arrived, I had arrived last Thursday, but five of them passed away by Sunday. I still have the last one in a covered bucket. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, Irie. Okay. Um, Irie, would you email me, dan at dancefish.com? Sorry, that's the old one. Hello at dancefish.com. And let me know a couple things. One is how long's the aquarium been set up? Um, how long has it had other fish in it? And if you could do a general kind of testing panel um, for ammonia nitrate, nitrite, um, well, that's the wrong order. Ammonia nitrite, nitrate, um, temperature, and any other thoughts, then what I'd like to do if we can, what I usually do in a case like this is 
try to pinpoint if we can find what happened. Um, and then if we can find that and can fix that, then I'll, I'll resend you some, some of those Corys to try again. Um, this is usually successful. But we have to be able to pinpoint the problem first so we can fix it. Otherwise, we're just like, you know, repeating the issue again and again and again. On a, on a fish like that, where we've had them for a long time and we've sent hundreds out, and I think that's true. I want to get you from you, Rick. I, I think it was a couple hundred at least and almost never have any issues. When a batch doesn't do well, then my inclination is to think, oh, maybe there's something going on we could fix so that we could resend and they will do well. Um, now, I want to be very clear here that there is no customer blaming here. I'm, I'm not blaming you, Irie 77. Um, it, it could be that something happened in shipping. I don't know what, but temp, they got put in the hot, hot sun or in a sunny window or something, and they had heat packs in there. And so even though it was cold, they somehow got extra warm. Like there's many things that could have happened. But in general, in a case like this, we try to do everything we can to see if there's something that we could fix um, so that we can resend and won't have the issue. Sometimes we can't find it, in which case, we often ask, is there another tank that you have <laughs> that's been set up long-term um, that we could dry them in? And usually that works out. So let's let's start that conversation. If you'd email me, um, hello at dancefish.com, we can we can try to figure out what's going on. And I'm so sorry you had that experience. I, I know what that feels like, and I'm sorry it happened to you. Fantastic Freaks, throwing down a super chat. Thank you so much. Cha-ching. <laughs> and for the thumbs up. Appreciate it. I always, I'm backwards. There we go. <laughs> and if you left a comment, Fantastic Freaks, I'm sorry. It won't let me read it. So if you did, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Fish Central. He scared me for a second. Oh, did we just go lasso? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Let's let's go. We're behind. Johnson Howard. My Chilatharina Fasciata Clearwater Creek breed constantly, but the other rainbows gobble them up. Thinking of setting up a breeding tank for them. Yes, that's par for the course for rainbows. Often they'll they'll spawn a lot, but usually the fry are eaten. And it might not be the other rainbows. It could be the Clearwater Creeks themselves doing it too. Um, so one, you can set up another tank, put them in it for a couple weeks or so, and then take them out and you'll probably have a bunch of babies appear. Um, that's one way to do it. Or you can put a spawning mop in their tank. And once it's full of eggs, m move the mop with the eggs and put that in another tank and they can hatch in there. But you usually do need to remove the babies from the parents. Now, not always. If you have like half the tank is floating plants, like water sprite, let's say, with good long roots so that, you know, duckweed isn't as good because you might have a ton of duckweed, but the roots are really short, so the parents can still get up or the adults can still get up and eat the little babies up there. But if you have something with long roots, water sprite, water lettuce, I don't know, frog bit, something like that. Um, I like water sprite because it's super easy. Then, and you have like half the tank that has a cut, you know, that coating the surface of the water. Then often enough babies will be able to hang out and hide in that, that you'll get a little population growing up, not large numbers but you'll get a few growing up. So that's, that's another way to do it. If you just want to see a few 
you know, grow up every now and then. So there's a few ways to do it. Okay. Killers, Aquatics, and Exotics. Just an update on Chattanooga Ed. His heart surgery was canceled today. They did do another heart catheterization. He's doing well. Thanks for letting us know, Killers, Aquatics, and Exotics. Um, yeah, Miss Ed, hope he recovers quickly. If you guys don't know Chattanooga Ed, he's been a, I don't know, I, I guess you'd call it rock solid member of the Fish Fam for a long time. A, a real supporter of the community that does a lot to help folks out and and uh, so our best, my best thoughts out to you, Ed. Mike Stambaugh, what are the cons of only feeding capsulated brine versus live brine? You know, I tried capsulated brine back in the day and I just liked live better. There's a lot of fish that, the nice thing about it is it moves, right? That jerky swimming motion. Um, that triggers a lot of fish to have a real good feeding response. So that's what I liked about it. Now, one thing though, is if you have fish that are dedicated, say surface feeders, and you can get them on decapsulated brine, that can be kind of nice because if they're only gonna eat at the surface and there's a few species of fish that they're just not gonna come down off that meniscus on the top of the water, right? They're gonna be right up there next to it. Um, if you feed baby brine shrimp, they tend to like swim around in the middle of the water column. They will go up top as well and get eaten, but a lot of them will hang out in the middle or the bottom or whatever. And so the fish are not able to eat all the food. Whereas decapsulated brine shrimp eggs might, um, might float longer and, and be a better option for pure surface eaters. But besides that one case scenario, and I'm sure there's another edge case that I'm not thinking of right now. But besides things like that, I like baby brine shrimp better just because they move. And baby fish are instinctually going to chomp down on something that moves. Um, also, they live for a darn long time, in my experience, in fresh water. And so um, less likely maybe to get rot because you can just put a little bit in and they'll eat them throughout the day. Whereas decapsulated brine shrimp eggs you put them in and they don't eat them and now you've got to find them all and remove them all <laughs> right <laughs> because they're going to start rotting pretty soon i mean eventually not not like immediately but that's that's my thoughts on that okay i'm scrolling because chat jumped we're at 8 11 okay the next one i can see chat cut off a lot of these i'm sorry folks um, if you listed a question or comment and it was above the one I'm about to read and I didn't read it or get to it, it's because chat jumped and I can't see it. So feel free to post it again if you want. Um, we've got, you know, 18 minutes. There's a chance we'll be able to get to it. New Mexico Aquatics. Hi, you little Bobby. Do you have experience keeping any rainbows in the 60s during the winter? No, I wasn't born in the 60s, little Bobby. Sorry. <laughs> see what I did there? Um, no, I've, I've not kept them that low, but there's definitely several species that can. You know, a lot of the species that come from more southern Australia would probably be right at home down in the 60s. Some of the Radnocentris, some of the, well, I'd have to look at a map so I don't mistakenly say the name of a species that's actually, you know, from a little more north than I'm thinking it is. But yes, there's a whole group of rainbows um, that are 
naturally in cool water during the winters in their native habitat in Australia. Hard rock, and I haven't tried it. No, I have not. Hard rock tanks. What size quarantine tank would I need for three Amazon puffers? And would you treat for everything at once or just parasites and watch? Hmm. So for three Amazons, I think you would be okay. I've never tried just three long term, but I know Candy Overholes had a small group. It was maybe three, maybe four, two, three or four, something like that. And they did just fine. If I remember correctly, they were in a 125 gallon tank. So much like the one behind me. So like a six foot long tank and they did good. Now they might've done just as well as in a, in a 75 gallon or 55 gallon, but I don't know that for sure. Cause that's not what I observed. <laughs> I observed them in a larger tank. So hard for me to say for sure. A lot of the reason I'm kind of hedging on this is there's a lot of fish that we call community fish that are, but not necessarily in small groups. Like Amazon puffers are definitely a community puffer that can live with its own kind, but probably in larger groups is better. Um, often when you take these community fish like these and keep them in smaller numbers, then you stop having the proper uh, social structure and they can start picking on one of the fish, you know, too much, or one rises to such dominance that the others are cowed, things like that. This, this happens with lots of fish that are community fish, but in nature, much larger aggregations. And so their social structure is not um, tuned to very small groups. That being said, I, I did see candy overhauls be very successful keeping Amazon puffers together in a small group in 125 gallon aquarium. As far as treatment, um, a lot of this depends on what they're like when they come in. They're gonna, you're gonna want to deworm them for sure. And flubendazole is something that adds to your deworming arsenal for puffers. It works really well. Flubendazole is the water soluble form of fenbendazole, and also a form that is. Um, capable of being absorbed into the fish internally. So they absorb it through the gills and stuff. So it actually gets to the parasites in their gut as opposed to fenbendazole, which is only going to affect the outer surface of the fish and not actually get inside the fish unless you feed it to them. If they ingest it, sure, but otherwise no. So um, would I treat with antibiotics or something besides dewormers and parasite medicines? I don't think I would unless unless the condition they arrived in or something I observed make, made me think that they would need it. Um, otherwise, I'd probably just do the parasites. That's me and that's how I'm keeping tanks and stuff. Everyone's situation is different. The secret history living in your aquarium. Any leads on Tenopoma species by chance? Um, I'm always looking for more African nano small fish. So right now we have micro Tenopoma and Sorgii, which to me is my favorite of the uh, Tenopoma species. I mean, micro Tenopoma, but you get what I mean. And sword GI. These guys, 
And they've actually grown quite a bit since we took this picture and they're starting to get quite a bit more color. But Microtinopoma sorgia I like because it stays small. You know, what is it? Two and a half inches maybe or so for a, a full blown big boy. Um, really colorful. For those that don't know this fish, To me, it's the most colorful of the Tenopoma types. Really cool fish. I mean, check these out. Now, you're seeing this one fired up in, you know, defending a territory, trying to attract a mate or something. They don't always look like this, but even this is pretty cool. You know, that's, I, I would expect that pretty much every day. I don't think that's out of the picture. Um, again, you can see it coming in already on this guy, and he's itty-bitty. So anyway, that's the only one I have right now, and I'm probably not going to bring a whole lot of Tenopomas in. And the reason is, is there's just not a high demand for them, I'd say. I've tried a few different species, and in general, I tend to sit on them. Um, so it's, it's not something I'm going to bring lots of different kinds in. But yeah, there's a... Is it Kingsley Eye, the other one I like? Okay, now I have to look. Ten Yeah. So I like these guys too. I know that they just, you know, large brown fish, but super unique, super cool. I think they're neat. I really like Tenopomas myself, Alex, but um, the market is not proven out. So I'll get some every now and then, but nothing, nothing... I'm probably not going to get like 10 at a time or something. Alter Ego Aquatics. I've got one clouded archer that I love and really want to give him some buddies. Hope I can soon. Hope you can soon too. If you do, be aware that um, you'll probably need to treat it cichlid style, whereas that guy's probably got his established territory. And if you just put one in, it's probably going to get picked on. So how I would do that, if you have the space, is I would introduce like, I don't know, five or six new ones all at once. And maybe keep the uh, established one in a net or, or separated somehow for the first couple days uh, and then let him out. What you don't want to do is have a fish that's all established in the tank, put one more in there, and then just have him like go aggro on it, right? So that's how I would introduce archers, even though they aren't known as like an, necessarily an aggro fish. They definitely have a hierarchy, and um, I'd have one or a group is how I would do them, especially if one's already established. Sandy Docti, I took your advice and put an Anubius in my scud tank that was covered in BBA. Two days later, it was all cleared up. Yes, they are the best. The only problem to watch out for with scuds is if you leave the plant in too long, the algae gets eaten, and now they start wanting to eat the plant. Anubius are pretty tough, though, so I'm glad to hear that it worked out for you. That's awesome. Every now and then I get one right, folks. Every now and then. <laughs> bling, bling, plecos. Who's that? Kenneth Young? Yeah. <laughs> what did someone, someone describe them as um, placos too much. Instead of placostomous, the placos too much. <laughs> cost too much. <laughs> Orange cones, any chance of baddest baddest in the future? Absolutely. Yes. 
as soon as I can find a good group and, you know, have, have the space. Yes. I like baddest, baddest quite a lot. The only real limitation I've found to keeping baddest, baddest is that, um, they want frozen and live foods. They're in my experience, not going to transition well to flakes or pellets or things like that. Timothy Darlene, how long after taking the fry away from my pisto male can I reintroduce my female back into the tank? It's a it's cockatoides. I don't know, Timothy. I've never separated the sexes. I've always just removed the fry from the pair. I've never had a case where there was breeding. and I separated the sexes. I have no experience with that particular method, so I can't answer that. Does someone here know? Does someone here use that method where you separate the um, mother and father during the breeding? I'm assuming so that one of them can take care of the fry is, is what happened. Because um, I haven't tried that. I'm not sure what would happen there. I mean, epistles, there's always a chance that something could go wrong, but not always, often it goes right. So. No matter what you do, there's going to be a little risk there. Xanadu, do. My six Kalitawas in a heavily planted 40 breeder, three each, males and females, all seem to be pairing off. Should I split each pair into other tanks for breeding or leave them together and pull mops? Oh, I, I would leave them together for sure. Yeah, I think that rainbows in general, um, I don't want to say they're particularly like social fish, but groups of them tend to stimulate each other into more activity. Uh, when it comes to the breeding. So I would leave them together and pull the mops. I mean, it, there's some great footage out there on YouTube of bio, uh, of habitats where you can, they'll actually take a camera and go underwater and swim with the rainbow fish. There's one on Bosmani. There's some on several different rainbow fish. And You see them in groups, not tight schools necessarily so much, but they're shoaling together. Or um, you're looking at the, the bank of the creek, like if you're in a creek or the lake or whatever, and you're underwater, along the bank, you'll have these plants growing off the bank underwater. And you'll see a male here, and then a couple feet later, another male, and then another male, and another male, and females swimming around them. And the males are all getting excited and trying to say, hey, come this way. I'm the one. I'm the one, right? Um, and they're all kind of together displaying and stuff. Um, so I think personally, I think groups, you'll get a lot more color and action. And, um, I think probably even breeding in a group. <laughs> Here's the secret to success with rainbow fish. Apparently it's lots of hands. <laughs> Crantail Halfman, what's the care requirement for these rainbows? Okay. I think I already did that one. Tank size and don't feed them large pelleted foods is really the only specialized care I would say. Adam's Aquatic Addiction, what would you stock with Brichardi, 40-gallon breeder, or would you do a species-only tank? It's hard for me to answer because Brichardi, so that's an ichthyologist, the last name of an ichthyologist, and there are lots of species of fish named after him. So I'm not sure which species we're referring to here. Um, one of my bucket list fish is a Brichardi. Poropanchax or Congo Panchax Brichardi. I can never remember the genus name. I'm going to assume you're talking about the fish from Lake Tanganyika, the cichlid. Um, and I would do a species only tank. Um, when they're breeding, they can get pretty aggressive. So 
personally, I would do a species only tank. And with Brichardi, if we're talking about, is it Lamprologus Brichardi or Neolamprologus Brichardi? If, if the one from Tanganyika is the one we're talking about, um, you're gonna have plenty of action in a species only tank because they're gonna breed and you'll get babies going up. And neat thing about Brichardi is the babies take care of their younger siblings. So you get this whole family dynamic you don't have to worry about them eating each other or hurting each other or predating on each other. And well, I guess they can't hurt each other. They are cichlids. But um, in general, you get a really cool uh, social dynamic just with them. Bunny Viper, do you think three to five Amazon puffers would fit nicely with Geos and Threadfin of cars in a 180? Yeah, I do. I really do. Now, I mean, anything can happen with fish, right? <laughs> I, you can have a group of fish that's doing great in one tank, move them to another tank, and then suddenly you have a bloodbath. But in general, I think that would be, that's a setup that I wouldn't have a problem with. I think that I would try that if that was my tank. Fantastic Freaks, I have, okay, I also have just three Amazon Puffers in a 40, and they've done well, just shy of two years. Awesome. Going to upgrade them to 55 or 75 soon, though. Okay, that's good to hear. All right, that gives hope to, was it Paul that was asking about that um, earlier? Let's see here. Who else chimed in about that? I'm curious. Ugly Casanova, great name. <laughs> That's hilarious. I love that name. I have four in my 65-gallon still, roughly two inches, and they're happy for the time being, but I'm looking to add to the shoal with a larger tank. I assume we're talking... About Amazon puffers there. Good. It sounds like people are having uh, success with the smaller groups and not massive tanks. So that's good to know. If we were, if those indeed were talking about Amazon puffers, I think they were, but I have no way of knowing for sure. <laughs> Maria Z, why don't more people recommend potassium permanganate? It's probably because they don't like everything being stained purple. <laughs> um, not quite sure, but yeah, potassium permanganate is can be very effective. Um, it's an oxidizer. So think in the veins of like, I don't know, bleach or methylene blue or uh, hydrogen peroxide, something like that. Um, I know one gentleman that imports really rare, hard to find stuff, Altam Angels, really delicate stuff. Um, well, that's just one example, Altam Angels and lots of other stuff from the wild. And he swears by it. He, uh, his treatment when he gets new fish involves potassium permanganate and he has great success with it. So for him, it's obviously working well. I think it's a good one to use. I personally, um, I, I find that hydrogen peroxide works pretty well for what I need, but I don't think there's anything wrong with potassium permanganate. And I know a lot of people that are very successful with it, but I imagine just because of the purple staining is the, the main reason folks don't always use it. Yeah. That would be my guess or don't prefer it maybe over other options. All right. We've got to do a giveaway first though. Xanadu do I have an awesome video of two Kalitawa males spinning around each other in a tight circle. So awesome. I need to just post it, I guess. Yes, I want to see that. I want to see how the little guys are growing for sure. <laughs> Thanks for the super chat and please post it. I would love to look at that. Um, all right, let's do the giveaway. 
So this is for, um, I think, at least four Melanotania Kalitimbuni, not Kalitawa, I got confused earlier, Kalitimbuni. We have 160 eligible entries, and the winner is Kevin, Kevin Voigt. You have potentially won some awesome rainbow fish. You just need you have about two, uh, two minutes to leave a comment and claim your winnings, because you do have to be present, and you do have to you know, acknowledge that, <laughs> that you're here for the drawing to, uh, to win. Is Flapping Hands your new nickname? <laughs> I think it's Loose Wrists. Loose Wrists is my, my nickname. It's so hot in here, Orange Cones. <laughs> Ira Nelson, is there a downside to using a pond canister on a large aquarium? Not that I know of. I think that would work just fine. Um, I don't know much about pond filters, though, so uh, I couldn't tell you which ones to use or this one leaks more than that one or any of that, but... I can't think of a reason you couldn't do that. Alter Ego Aquatics can do. I put him in a breeder tank thing while the others got introduced. Yeah, I can put him in a, yeah, we're talking about the archer. I think that that would be one of the safest ways to do it. Kevin Boyd is here. Kevin, congratulations. You have won a group of Melanotania Cali Timbuni. Uh, pretty darn new rainbow fish to the hobby. It was only discovered and collected back in 2017 by Johannes Graf and Co. So, Happy to pass some of those on to you to play with. Um, please send us an email, hello at dancefish.com, with your first name, last name, and mailing address included in the email. Let us know you're the winner, and uh, we'll get those out to you. And uh, I would assume next week, we'll just have to email to you know get that set up. So congratulations to Kevin. With that, we're at time. It's 8.30, so we're going to go here. I want to thank everyone for being here. Thanks for... Uh, I, so for me, this is, I've talked about this, but not in a long, long time. Where I grew up, there were a lot of aquarium fish clubs. We had the Sacramento Aquarium Society. We had the Bay Area Killifish Association. We had lots of different places you could go, lots of different hobbyists you could geek out with. Um, and I grew up on that as a, as a kid. Uh, my fish godfather, Jim Forche, and godmother, Agnes Forche, would, they would go to all these meetings. So they would you know, give me a ride and take me all around and kind of mentor me. And I really miss that. I miss hanging out with fish geeks and going to fish club meetings and seeing the people, seeing the fish and all that. Um, since I moved out here to Wyoming, as you can imagine, in a state of, you know, about half a million people in the entire state, living in a town of around 18,000, that's six hours from the nearest big city, which would be Denver. Um, and there's not a lot of, uh, fish clubs here. <laughs> There's a small community of folks here that keep fish, but you know, it's, you don't have all these clubs you can visit. So what this does for me every week is gives me a, I don't, it's not quite the same, but it's the same kind of thing, I guess. It's the ability to hang out with fish nerds and geek out about fish. Um, not quite the same as being in person in a club meeting and bidding on stuff and catching up and shooting the fish poop, you know, and all that. But Still, it's it's what I've got, and I, I really appreciate it. So thanks for being here. Thanks for geeking out with me. Um, we'll be back same time next week, same bat channel. But before I go, same bat time, same bat channel. That's how you say that. But before I go, I want to thank my moderators because they do an amazing job, and uh, they do it voluntarily. 
and they show up every week and do it week after week, which I find amazing and I'm so grateful for. Um, everyone that threw money at us, thanks for the super chats. Always appreciated, never required, but we are a startup company. And at this stage, every little bit of cash does help and is put to good use, trust me. Um, let's see here. Where next? Oh, everyone that left a question or comment, thanks for participating and, and you know, making this lively and fun. Everyone lurking, I get it. Hail the Lurker Nation. Everyone watching on the replay, thanks for watching. Hello. Hello from the future. And everyone listening on the podcast, thanks for listening. And thanks to Michael Mellier for making the podcast possible. Till next week, I hope you have a good one. Thanks again. And bye-bye.